This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Michael Kalstrup and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit us at www.thefellowship.church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin again tonight in Acts chapter 15. We read this scripture last night, and we'll look at this scripture and then Psalm 32 verse 8 again. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, the first part of that scripture or verse And of course, we know the background, the leaders, the church leaders, including some of the apostles and uh, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, who is James, the Lord's brother, all of them collectively came together uh, concerning a doctrinal issue. And it was concerning uh, imposing certain regulations upon Gentile believers. And of course, you know, the first several years of the history of the early church, the majority of those who were converted in the first 10 years or so were uh, Jewish individuals, Jewish believers who became Christians. But many times, you know, because of the Jewish background and traditions, it's very difficult sometimes to uh, just abandon, you know, years and years and years of religious tradition. And so it was difficult. And so the question was, should we impose upon Gentile believers circumcision and other things that we as Jewish believers believe in? And of course, the, uh, when they consulted and they spoke, all of them spoke what was on their heart, they agreed that they would not do that. So they were sending a letter by the hands of Paul and Barnabas. And uh, in this statement in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, this is a part of the letter. And they wrote, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and to us. I like the English Revised Version that says, we agree with the Holy Spirit. I like that. We agree with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. We agree with the leading or the direction of the Holy Spirit concerning what we're writing to you that you need what you need to know and understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. So two things here in this verse that I want to draw your attention to. Number one, in order to agree with the Holy Spirit, you would need to know and understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. Isn't that right? Secondly, there is a balance in decision-making. And we can see the decision-making process by this early church, and this is about doctrine, of course, but this applies to everything in life. There is a balance between natural human wisdom and planning, but there must also be at least if an equal, if not a greater emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit in making decisions. So we see that the early church incorporated the person of the Holy Spirit in their decision-making process. And we talked about this last night. We'll talk about it again. It's easy for us as human beings to default to just the natural side of making decisions to our understanding, to human reasoning, to human emotion. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now turn to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32 and look at verse 8 again. We began with this verse uh, on Sunday morning. I did not intend to use this verse, but we're using it every service. So we might as well read it again. Psalm 32, 8. The psalmist here, and of course, we, we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. You believe that? By that, we mean we believe that the writers of the Bible 
were influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote, and what they wrote is inspired or is infallible, written without error, written without mistakes. So we understand in the Bible that the Bible records everything. It's not a book of history. It contains history. It's not a book of poetry. It contains poetry. It is not just a recording of factual information. It does have facts. We believe it is the revealed Word of God. It's revelation knowledge that has been written to us, and that revelation knowledge only becomes real and transformational when the Holy Spirit takes what is written and makes it real to our spirits. So we believe that the Bible is God speaking to us. So here in the book of Psalms, the writer of this Psalm, David, the Holy Spirit inspired him to say these words, I will instruct you, this is God speaking through the psalmist, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide thee with thine eye, with mine eye. I like the living Bible that says, I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. The best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch your progress. Young's literal translation says, I cause thee to act wisely. I like that. I will cause you to act wisely. I've acted unwisely sometimes. And that's simply because I did not use good common sense or I didn't listen to the leading of the Lord on the inside. So the Lord said, I will cause you to act wisely. And we need to act wisely, especially in the, te- in the time and the day and the age in which we live. I will cause you to act wisely and direct you in the way that you should go. I cause mine eye to take counsel concerning thee. So we can see it's God's desire to direct us along the best pathway for our lives. If that's His desire, then He will help us make the right decisions in order to follow that pathway. And I believe that God wants to cause us to act wisely. So then if that is true, then it must be His will to help me find clarity in the midst of uncertainty, to receive clear direction when I have important decisions to make. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and uh, we'll read just a few of these verses, 11 through 16. I'm going to read from the contemporary English version, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Paul here writes, You are the only one who knows what is in your mind, your own mind, and God's Spirit is the only one who knows what is in God's mind. So Paul said, you are the only one that knows what's in your mind. We're not mind readers, are we? Sometimes I attempt to read the mind of my wife and I'll make a mistake. Even after 40 years. I think I know her. But sometimes we think we know what someone else is thinking, but we really do not know. In the same way, Paul said, only the Holy Spirit knows what is in the mind of God. Only the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say that this, that's why we do not think the same way that the people of the world think. That's also why we can recognize the blessings that God has given us. Every word we speak was taught to us by God's Spirit, not by human wisdom. 
And this same Spirit helps us teach spiritual things to spiritual people. That's why only someone who has God's Spirit can understand spiritual blessings. Anyone who does not have God's Spirit thinks these blessings are foolish. People who are guided by the Spirit can make all kinds of judgments. I like that. People who are guided by the Spirit can make all kinds of judgments. And that pertains to every area of life. The right judgments, the right decisions. But they cannot be judged by others. The Scripture asked, Has anyone ever known the thoughts of the Lord or given Him advice? But we understand what Christ is thinking. Hallelujah. King James says we have the mind of Christ. We understand what Christ is thinking. How do we understand that? Well, there are two ways. And we're going to talk about those two ways tonight. Number one, through the written Word of God. The written Word contains the thoughts of God. And the majority of what God's Word says will answer about 90% or even more of the questions we have about life. The second way is found in John 16, 13, that verse that we looked at last night, when the Spirit of truth is come, that is the Holy Spirit, He will what? Guide you what? Into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority. Whatever He hears, that will He speak, and He will show you things to come. Who is the Holy Spirit listening to? Well, obviously, He's listening to God the Father. He's also listening to Jesus, the head of the church. And He will communicate directly to your spirit concerning God's will and God's plan and concerning those things that affect your life. He will guide you into all truth. That's not only the truth of God's Word, but that is the truth concerning decisions you need to make in life. He will guide you. Thank God we have a guide living on the inside. He's never wrong. Never wrong. We have a counselor on the inside. I know for years that I've, in my positions that I've held, uh, you know, working with uh, as an associate pastor, pastor, and working as an administrator in an office and dean of a Bible school, I've had to do a lot of counseling. And, uh, you know, we do our best to give good counsel, but we're not perfect. We could inadvertently say something that's not 100% accurate or correct. That's not our intent. But we have someone living on the inside who is 100% accurate every single time. He'll never mislead you. His counsel is always right. Now, it may not be the counsel we want at the moment, but it's right. And if we, if we listen to it and act on it, then we'll have what we desire in life. So we see that God intends to guide us and lead us. I want to look at several scriptures that show us in the New Testament that God desires to speak to us individually. And I'm going to go through these scriptures quickly. And so if uh, you, you can follow along, that's great. If, if you can't follow along back there, I appreciate that's, that's okay. Thank you for trying. But I'm going to give you several scriptures. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, Acts chapter 8, verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. You know the story in Acts chapter 8. After Philip had an amazing uh, meeting in this particular location, he was caught away by the Spirit, and there was one individual that was in a chariot 
reading the Old Testament Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit said to him, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 19, Acts chapter 10 and verse 19, while Peter thought on the vision, this is while he was on the housetop praying, the Spirit said unto him, notice that, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, there are five men, including Barnabas and Saul, as they fasted and ministered unto the Lord, the Holy Ghost said, notice that, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. In Acts chapter 27 and verse 10, Acts chapter 27 and verse 10, and said unto them, Sirs, this is Paul, I perceive, I perceive, that this voyage or this ship journey that we're about to go on will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lading and ship, but also of our lives. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, for it seemed, we just read this, good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Acts chapter 16 and verse 7. Acts chapter 16, verse 7, And they were come to Mysia. They essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, or the Spirit forbade them or forbid them to go. Notice that statement. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul said, Now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit. And actually that word is mistranslated. It should be translated compelled. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I have to go. The Spirit is urging me or compelling me to go to Jerusalem. I go bound in spirit, in the Spirit, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Now, notice that statement. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know what is necessary at that moment. And usually that's how God operates. He'll say one thing. And there were, and we're like, and uh, the rest. But that's all he'll say, because God desires that you walk and live your life by faith. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter one verse seventeen, the just shall live by what they feel and see. No, the just shall live by what faith. We don't like that. You know, it's the story like the story of the man who fell off the cliff. And on the way down, he's reaching for something and he grabs a tree branch and he's hanging there and yelling and screaming for an hour. Help me, help me, help me. Someone help me. No voice, no one. Finally, after two hours, he hears a voice and he shouts out, oh, thank God you're there. Help me. And the voice says, let go of the branch. And he thinks for a moment and he says, is there anyone else up there that can help me? That's the way we are many times. God delights when we walk by faith and serve Him by faith. And so He will give you just enough information for you to act on that. And once you act on that, then more information will come. That's how God operates. And even when it comes to making decisions in life, He'll give us enough light to make that decision because He wants us to be led, guided, directed by the Holy Spirit that lives in our spirit. 
He wants us to become dependent upon the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, not just on natural human wisdom and reasoning. So we can see here in all of these scriptures, and we read just a few verses in the Bible that talk about the fact that God desires to speak or communicate to us. He desires to guide us and lead us in life. So the question now becomes, how does the Holy Spirit guide us? How does He speak to us? Well, we know in John chapter 4, verse 24, we quoted this last night. Jesus said, God is a what? A spirit. He is a spiritual being. He's not a physical body. He's not a mind. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must, must worship Him in spirit and truth, or as one version of the Bible said, with true spiritual worship. Worship is the highest kind of prayer. It is the highest form of communication with our Heavenly Father. We're not asking for anything. We're simply expressing out of our heart, out of our spirit, our love, our appreciation to our Heavenly Father, how much we love Him. It's the highest form of communication. And so we could interpret this verse or read that verse this way. Those that communicate with their Heavenly Father must communicate on a spiritual level. And we can do that. Aren't you glad? We live under this new, we call it covenant. That word covenant, really, if you look in your Bible, if you look the first page before you start reading Genesis, it says Old Testament. Is that right? Then you turn over to the Gospels before you get to Matthew. It says New Testament. Well, that's an old word, an old English word. We don't use that hardly anymore in our, in our vocabulary. It just simply means agreement. It also means contract. It also means covenant. So we have the old contract, the new, the new contract. These are spiritual contracts that God has made with man. You know, many times people read the Old Testament and they think somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God had a change of heart. All of a sudden now He's friendly. In the Old Testament, we see, you know, destruction and judgment, law, all these things happen. New Testament's like, wow, now all of a sudden our Heavenly Father changed. He's happy. No, He didn't change. The Bible says God does not change. As a matter of fact, James says He doesn't even change enough to cast a shadow. He's the same. So if God didn't change, what's the difference? The difference is how we view God. The difference is how God had to work with mankind under an agreement or a contract where no one was born again. No one had the Holy Spirit living in them. Everyone on this planet was under the dominion of sin. From the fall of Adam and Eve until Jesus came, there was no divine love in manifestation. Sin was ruling, Paul said. From Adam's sin, all the way to Moses, all the way to Jesus, sin ruled until the law came and they had an avenue then to connect to God. God showed them what His nature was like, His standards of perfection, and He knew they could not achieve those standards, so God gave them atonement. 
animal sacrifice, blood to cover their sin for one year. That's God's love and God's mercy. Actually, sin must be judged. But God was so loving and so kind in the old covenant, He covered sin. So judgment was eliminated. Now, if they did not follow God's guidelines to stay under His goodness and His mercy and grace, if they came out from under that and disobeyed what God wanted them to do because that was for their benefit and protection, there was an enemy. We know him as Satan. And he immediately had access to kill, to steal, and destroy from them. So if you look at the Old Testament, we think, well, God, you know, was angry all the time. He didn't love people. He was judging people all the time. Actually, the opposite. God was merciful and gracious and kind and good and spared humanity by giving them a way to cover their, their sin or atone their sin until Jesus came, who became the ultimate sacrifice and His blood, the Bible says, removed sin once and for all. And that gave us the ability of the new birth, the Holy Spirit being able to come into our spirit and to live on the inside of us. Think about that. The same power and presence that was shut up in the Ark of the Covenant that only the high priest could enter into one time a year and when the time was just right, could enter into that presence of God and offer a sacrifice. That same power and presence is in you. Is in you. Hallelujah. You don't have to travel halfway around the world to go to some holy place. You are holy. You understand what I mean by that. God lives in you. If you were not, if you were not recreated and made righteous, He could not dwell in you. But He dwells in you. He lives in you. Hallelujah. We carry God with us. He's not somewhere far away. He's in us. He's right here. And He's here to guide us and direct us and lead us in life. We need to be conscious of that. You know, Paul said, writing to the church at Corinth, and he and the Amplified Version brings this out, do you not discern and understand that you collectively and individually are, are Christ's temple or body? Do you not understand or discern that? We need to understand or discern that the Holy Spirit lives in us. See, that changes the way that we pray. That changes the way that we approach God. He's on the inside of us. Amen. Now, so how does God speak to us? There are three primary ways, and we're going to focus on two, and we're going to begin tonight. The first way, the first and foremost method of guidance is the written Word of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. This is the first and foremost way, the primary way, that God will lead us and direct us. That's why it's so important, and I encourage people all the time, read the Bible. Don't just read it. Meditate in it. What do I mean by that? Meditation is really a form of confession. It means to mutter or to speak to yourself. The psalmist David said, At night I lay on my bed and I muse, M-U-S-E. That simply means I out loud rehearse what God's Word is saying about me. 
That's meditation. That's what God told Joshua before Israel possessed the promised land. He said, now I'm going to give you instructions. You're going to possess the promised land, which is a type, really, of the new covenant church. Possessing what Jesus did for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. He said, be strong and courageous. Every place the sole of your foot will tread on or walk on shall be yours. That means you have to possess it. Everything Jesus has done for you, you must possess it by faith. It's available, but you have to possess it. Then he said this in verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's old covenant, old contract, old agreement. This book of the law, we, we would say under the new covenant or today, the Bible, God's Word, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Day and night. Then he said, if you meditate and act upon that word so that you can be a doer of that word, then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. I haven't found too many people who don't want to prosper and who do not want to have good success in life. You know, if I ever give an altar call, anyone here, you know, will come and pray for you so that you'll never prosper and you'll make all kinds of mistakes in life. No one responds to that. No, people want to know how to be blessed in life, how to be healthy and whole, how to receive what God has given to them. Well, Joshua said, or God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's meditation. That's meditation. Now, we'll talk about the the importance of that and the reason of that because our biggest hindrance in listening to the voice of God and following the voice of God is this human nature, this physical body, and this unrenewed mind. That's our biggest hindrance. But God has given us an answer in the Word to correct that, to help us with that. Now, notice here in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. You have that on the screen already. I don't have to turn. Uh, in verse 2, sorry, thank you. God, who You got both of them? We'll just read both of them. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, notice verse 2, hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Well, we know in John chapter 1, the Bible tells us in verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and so on. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. Who is that? Jesus. And He dwelt among us. So the Word became the living Word, Jesus, And when Jesus left this earth to be seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, He sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send another helper, that word another in the Greek language. There's two words, one of the same kind, one of a different kind. He used the word one of the same that is identical in every way. I'm going to send you someone who is identical in every way to myself. The only difference is he'll not be with you, he'll be in you. He'll be in you, identical to Jesus in every way. And He lives on the inside of us. His name is the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit now on the inside of us. 
the Word to take what Jesus said and to reveal it to us or to make it real to us spiritually. So it transforms us, changes us. So now we have the Word. Amen. Not just the written Word, you understand. That written Word becomes living to us when the Holy Spirit activates it. So we can see here that the number one way, and we'll look at this, the number one way, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The number one way that God's going to lead you is through His written Word. That's number one. And to be honest with you, it makes it much easier to follow the inward witness, which we'll talk about tonight as well, the inner witness if we're obedient to the written word. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a pastor, and he said, the Spirit speaks expressly. I like that King James Version. Expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines, that's teachings, of devils having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. He's not writing to unbelievers. An unbeliever's conscience cannot be seared. It's already, it's not even in, contact, in connection with God. Are you listening? So he's talking there about believers. And so notice he uses the word conscience. Conscience, we'll talk about that tonight, is the voice of our spirit. We'll talk about spirit, soul, body. Each part has a voice. Conscience is the voice of your spirit. We'll define that later. But notice he talks about departing from the truth of God's Word and opening up to deception from teaching that is unscriptural and that causes a seared conscience. So if that's true, then staying with the truth of God's Word helps your conscience. As a matter of fact, in Romans, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and in Romans chapter 14, Paul talked about meat offered to idols. Remember that? He said there are those who do not have this knowledge that an idol is nothing in this world. He said their conscience being weak, if they follow your example, will be defiled. So he equals weak conscience with no knowledge. He makes the connection with a weak conscience and no knowledge of God or God's Word. Are you listening? So that's why it's so important to build God's Word into you. Build that Word into you. Find scriptures in the Bible that promise you what God says belongs to you and build those scriptures into you until you have an unshakable faith or trust or confidence in what God said. Then when the devil comes, and he will, you don't have to believe for that. He'll just come. don't have to exercise any faith for him to come. He'll come. The thief cometh. The thief cometh. Peter said he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. Well, he's not going to be able to devour you if the Word of God has been built into your spirit. When Jesus was on... Tempted by the devil in, Mar in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. The second temptation, he was taken up, or the third temptation, he was taken up to the temple. 
top of the temple, and the devil quoted scripture to him. Didn't he? He said, throw yourself off, for it's written. Because he heard Jesus say two other times, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so the devil said, well, I can play that game. So let me tell you what's written. Now think about it. Here's Jesus after a 40-day fast, which is supernatural. 40 days, the first voice he heard after praying and fasting for 40 days was not God's voice. Ah, it was not God's voice. And this voice was quoting Scripture. And this voice said, for it is written, and he quoted Psalm 91, a verse in Psalm 91. Didn't misquote it. He quoted it accurately. He said, if you cast yourself down, the angels are given charge over you, and they'll keep you in all their ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Come on, Jesus. It's written. You see, here's the danger. The danger is that he did not misquote it. The danger is misapplication of the truth. To take something and to change the meaning and misapply it could mean destruction. And so he said, come on, Jesus, the Bible says this. No, it is also written, Jesus said. It is also written. You better know what is also written. Right? Jesus took three verses out of the book of Deuteronomy and defeated Satan. You have the whole Bible. Three verses out of the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus knew what was written. As a matter of fact, when he approached the Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures. I'm sure that went over well. They prided themselves in knowing the scriptures. Matter of fact, if you're a Pharisee, by the time you're eight years of age, you, have, you will have quoted, you can quote the first five books of the Bible, that's the Pentateuch, and the book of Psalms, verbatim. And he told them, search the scriptures. Jesus knew what was in the word because he studied it as well. Amen. He found himself in the scripture. Hallelujah. He found out who he was. You need to find out who you are. Huh? If you don't find out who you are, the devil will tell you who you are. And you don't want to listen to him because he'll take all faith out of you. He'll take anything positive out of you. And he'll convince you that you're worthless and that you'll never amount to anything in life. And you might as well just end your life. He comes to everyone. I don't care who you are. That's why you need to know who you are in the scriptures. Your identity must be not in what people say, but in what Jesus says. Amen. If your identity is based on what people say, then it will change. But if your identity is in what Christ says about you, it's not going to change. And it doesn't matter what people say. If God be for me, who can be against me? I like to say it this way. If God be for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. It doesn't matter. God's for you. He's in you. He's with you. You're his child. He bought you with a price. He loves you. And that'll never change. Never change. 
So you might as well just agree with him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are his child. And he will guide you and lead you in life. I'm glad I learned that at an early age. At an early age. I was going the wrong way, but thank the Lord he corrected me. And I started walking on his pathway and it made all the difference. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And this is uh, the King James says, all Scripture, everyone say all Scripture, is given by what? And is what? Profitable for what? Doctrine, that's teaching. For reproof, don't like that. For correction, don't like that one either. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that, that is the woman of God, mankind, may be perfect or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like this version. Everything in the Scripture is God's Word. All of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. Now, here's what you need to understand. The Bible is a book filled with godly principles. You're not going to find a verse for everything that you have a question about. You know, I know there are people said, well, you know, there's nothing in there that says I shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. You know, the Bible said everything of God is good, nothing to be refused if it's sanctified with the word of God and prayer. Well, I mean, you know, you can say that about anything. You wouldn't pick up poison, knowing it's poison, and eat it or drink it. No, the Bible is a book of principles. Principles, And when you build those principles into you, then the Spirit will take those principles and give you direction concerning every issue of life. People, many times people have come to me because they want an excuse to do something they know they shouldn't be doing. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, the Bible doesn't say this either. Right? No, it's a principle. If you read the Bible, the Bible says, let everything you do in word and deed, Paul say, be done in the name to the glory of God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you can do it in the name of Jesus and it brings glory to God, then you can do it. Right? Pretty simple. So the Bible is a book of principles. Once you learn his principles, you'll be able to determine what God's thoughts are concerning every important area of life. Psalm 119, 105, you know that scripture? Psalm 119, 105, thy word is what? A lamp unto thy feet, a light unto thy path. Psalm 119, 105, Psalm 119, 130, Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of God's word does what? Brings us light. When you turn a light on in a room, you see things clearly. You know how to walk, how to navigate through the room. So when God's Word comes in, it gives us illumination or light. It shows us how to live, how to conduct ourselves, how to live in this world, how to relate to other people. God's Word brings that light. So the voice that speaks to you in the Bible is the same voice that speaks to your spirit. Same voice. 
You know, I remember many times, uh, many times, I've gotten discouraged in the natural, and you just want to quit. Sometimes you just want to quit. And, uh, you know, I feel sorry for myself. No one else is feeling sorry for me, so I have to feel sorry for myself. And uh, my wife won't feel sorry for me, so I don't go to her. So I just, you know, on my own, complain. And when I do that, out of my spirit, every time comes the Scripture. And, you know, up comes this verse out of the book of Proverbs, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Thank you very much. That was so encouraging. It's the truth I need to hear. That truth will make me free. Not, oh, I'm so, I know how you feel. You poor thing, you, you need a break. No, that doesn't help me. What helps me is the truth spoken in love. And God always speaks the truth in love. Always. Always. God always lifts you up to a higher level to get you out of where you are so you can live at a higher level spiritually and experience what God wants you to experience. Amen. Hallelujah. So God's Word is the number one way. I remember, I'll tell you this story, and then we'll go into the inner witness. Uh, When we left our first church in Mount Pleasant, and we moved to the mission field of Haiti, we sold our house and gave away and sold all of our belongings. And what we had left, we packed into a 4 by 8 U-Haul trailer. 4 by 8 is not too big. I had a uh, Chevy Blazer that I bought, and I'm going to take that Chevy Blazer and ship it along with the contents that was in the 4 by 8 trailer to Haiti. So we're driving from Mount Pleasant to the port in Miami. Well, that's a long drive. And so we decided to break it up into two days. And uh, when we started driving from Mount Pleasant, it started raining. And it rained the entire way to Jackson, Mississippi. So you're driving, you know, and I don't know how, I can't remember if I went down through Tennessee or how I did, but I knew I was going through some hills. So you're driving, you're fighting the trailer, you know, you're focusing for hours. So I got to Jackson, Mississippi. Anyone been to Jackson, Mississippi? Huh? So you know Jackson, Mississippi. I'm coming through on the main road through Jackson, and it's about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I told uh, my wife, Connie, I said, I'm tired. Let's just get a hotel for the night. And so uh, when I said that, when I said those words here on the inside, just something didn't seem right. And I'll talk about that later. Just didn't seem right. And you see, it's so easy to miss it. And so you're tired. And when you're tired, you're more conscious of your physical body than you are of anything else. And... uh, I said, I think we'll just get a hotel, and we're driving, and uh, something on the inside, I I don't know how to explain it, but just something, I just felt this impression, keep driving. And I thought, you know, the thought that came up to my mind, and so I began to reason, and I said to myself, I don't want to keep driving. 
I'm tired. I've been driving for 11 hours. It's raining. I am tired. I'm going to go to bed. And so we're driving, and I saw uh, like a motel, hotel type on the side of the road, and uh, the sign was on, and uh, so I pulled in. And it was so late, you know, this this hotel or motel, uh, they had a, a cubicle on the outside, and you had to, you know, register through a window. They didn't have an office that was open. And so I pulled in, went to the window. They had a room, and... Uh, Got the room, and then, you know, I had the trailer on, on the back of the blazer, so I'm pulling around. Something, just something on the inside said, just park right here. Just park right here. And it was in the front, and lights illuminated everything, you know. And uh, again, I said, I'm tired. I don't want to walk. I mean, I have to walk all the rain. The room's on the back. I have to walk all the rain, through the rain, with the luggage, at night. I'm tired. So I pulled around the back, you know, and there's cars in the back. And so I'm pulling around the back and something just, just had this, not words, no words, no voice, just something on the inside, back that trailer in. I don't want to back that trailer in. It's raining. It's dark. I'm tired. I don't want to back that thing in. Here's a Parallel spot right here. I can park right here. And I did. Now listen to me. My wife and I joined hands and prayed. We spoke the word of God. We claimed the 91st Psalm. We broke the power of the devil over our property and possessions. We agreed in Jesus' name. Went to bed. I woke up about 5 o'clock because we're leaving early. Looked out the window. There's the vehicle, but no trailer. And I thought, well, you know, got in the way and somebody, you know, politely moved it. So I went down to look and it's nowhere. Everything's in that trailer. Now we have a few things in the back of the blazer, but everything's in that trailer, including eight years of type sermon notes. We didn't have computers back then. All typed, hand typed, eight years of it. Some books, tools, uh clothing, other things. So I looked all over, nowhere. So I decided I'd call the police. So this is 5 o'clock in the morning, now about 5.15, 5.20. And the police came uh, just a few minutes later, and uh, he looked at me and looked at the situation. He said, well, my son, I've been on the police force for 20-some years. And I'm just going to tell you now, you'll never see that trailer again. So I thanked him for his encouragement. <laughs> Filled out the form. He said, if we find it, we'll let you know. Well, I have to, I'm, I'm on schedule. I have to leave. I mean, the boat's sailing at a certain time. I got to be there. And so uh, I'm walking up and down the sidewalk, 5.20, 5.30 in the morning now. And out of my script. Out of my, on the inside, up comes this verse. I don't even know where it is in the Bible. Now I found it. You want to turn there with me? It's in Job, the book of Job, of all places. I don't read the book of Job too often. 
So these verses don't come up in my spirit so often. But this came up. I had to look in the Bible to find out where it was. I didn't know where it was. Job chapter 5 and verse 22. Job 5 and verse 22. You find it? What does it say? Huh? At what? At destruction and famine. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. But the first part of that verse came up on the inside of me. King James says, At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh. Came up. I thought, What? Why not I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake? Why not that one? <laughs> and I'll open the windows of heaven. Why not that one? At destruction and famine. I'm serious. Came up on the inside. Just boom. There it is. And I'm complaining. I'm German. So I'm complaining to God about this. I mean, I sold everything. We sold everything. And now the trailer's gone. I guess he could have taken that same night. I didn't know this. The police told me that same night there was a U-Haul with a trailer on the back, a car carrier. The car carrier and, and the U-Haul and all was stolen. So I guess my vehicle could have been stolen. Thank God that wasn't stolen. So here's this scripture. We're talking about the number one way God leads us. Now there's a moral to the story. Listen to it. So I'm standing there, I'm thinking, I don't want to laugh. You know, I have a lot of emotions right now, and laughter is not one of them. And uh, so that came up again, and a third time, and so finally, okay. So I just went, you know, ha, 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 ha. I'm serious. That's exactly what I did. Ha, ha. Ha, ha. So after doing that a few times, you know, I talked to my wife and then we got a call from the police. Well, we found your trailer, but it's empty. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha. So now listen, we prayed in that car with that trailer before it was taken. And so a few months later, I was talking to the Lord about that. I said, now, wait a minute. Something's not right here. We're doing what you told us to do, number one. Number two, we acted on the word of God. We prayed. We have a right to pray. We have a right to claim your word. We're a child of God. We have a right to use your name. Isn't that right? And so, you know, the Lord doesn't always instantly answer. So a few weeks later, while I was praying, meditating, the Lord said to me on the inside, no amount of faith, prayer, or agreement will override what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Isn't the Holy Spirit God? Huh? Isn't He? 
So the written word and the spoken word, the spoken word from God, if it is the spoken word from God directly to us, carries just as much authority if we know it's God speaking, right? He said, no amount of faith, prayer, or agreement will override what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. So, long story short, here's the moral of the story. We had the vehicle. We got in the vehicle, drove down to Florida, got that vehicle on the ship, and I bought some supplies, you know, to replace the ones. The eight years of sermon notes, well, they never did return. And I'm sure God thought, you don't, you know, those are not so good anyway. Uh, you needed some new material. So uh, we got rid of those. And uh, a church, our home church, which happens to be in Tulsa, found out of, I don't know how they found out. And they received an offering, and this was 1980. Nine, $5,000 sent to us. And then our insurance company gave us a $5,000 settlement. $10,000. This is 1989. 10000 is not too bad now. But in 1989, 10000 was a lot of money. So really, to be honest, we replaced everything. I mean, there were a few things you couldn't replace, but not anything significant. And God blessed us with more than enough to replace everything and then some on top. Hallelujah. He had mercy on me. He had mercy on me. And He is merciful. When you're learning, He's merciful. So I'm telling that to you because the number one way that God leads us and guides us, and I could stand here all night long, literally, and tell you experience after experience of how the Word of God came up on the inside, gave me direction, illumination. I acted on that Word, and that allowed God to do something. I said, why, why didn't God just do it? Because He can't. He can only, only honor His Word. And if He can get us in a position to connect with Him and agree with Him, He can move. And He can perform His Word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we don't get a bad attitude and get bitter and negative and critical, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't... And God's just wanting to bless us if we can just get into connection with Him according to His Word and act on it and immediately He'll move. Immediately. Hallelujah. So I could tell you story after story like that, but I don't have time. I want to move on just a few more minutes, and then we're going to close. Notice here uh, in Proverbs chapter 24, quickly, Proverbs. You're in the book of Job. Now you're going to go home and read the book of Job tonight. Proverbs, and you know, if you study the Bible, the book of Job, according to most scholars, records a period of time of only about a nine-month period. We think, you know, this is 40, 50, 100 years for Job, but it's only nine months. And at the end of that nine months, Job was blessed twice as much as he had before because he adjusted something on the inside. Amen. Proverbs chapter 24 and uh, verse 10 
This is the other scripture that I was telling you about every time I complain. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, when God said that to me, you understand he's not trying to be sarcastic. No, he's trying to help me. He's trying to get my focus onto the word and away from myself, away from self-pity, because that never corrects anything. He's trying to get my focus outward, upward. Are you listening? If we stay down at this lower level when it's just about me, me and my feelings and how I feel, you'll never move into a higher level and experience what God has for you. Jesus said, Matthew 6.33, you know it, Seek ye first what? The kingdom and His righteousness and everything else you need in life will be added. The problem is, in my life, I'm not going to talk about you, in my life I build my own kingdom and ask God to come in and bless it. He's not going to bless my kingdom. My kingdom might not be His will. I have to get into His kingdom. It's already blessed. His kingdom and focus on His kingdom. His kingdom is the church, the body of Christ, people. So my priority has to be God first, other second, self last, or I'll never experience God's best. Never. God will never bless a selfish prayer. You can write that down. He'll never answer or bless a selfish prayer. God's more interested in you, not focusing on self, but focusing on His will and allowing Him to work through you for His will to be expanded in this earth. And then everything you need individually will be brought into your life. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Paul said it this way, death works in me, life in you. That means to the degree we die to self will be the degree that God uses us and works through us to minister life to others. It's not just about you, you understand. Right? Now, in the beginning, it's all about us. We get born again. Whoa! It's about everything our Heavenly Father has done for us through Christ. Man, it's all about us. But then we begin to grow spiritually and we realize, oh, it's not just about me. It's about others. It's about God's purpose and God's plan and cooperating with God's purpose and plan. And then we jump into the river with God and He carries us. That's the river of His Spirit. He carries us through life. He leads us and He blesses us. Hallelujah. Now, real quick and we're going to close. And that was my second warning, right? So I have one more. The uh, second way, and this is the, if we would say the second way that God leads us. And this is the primary or number one way apart from the written Word of God. So number one is what? The written Word of God. So when you find out what the Bible says, you don't have to pray about that. You just do it. I don't have to pray about, should I love my enemy? 
You know, like one man, you know, went to a counseling session, you know, because he was having issues with his wife and he was the issue. <clears throat> but, you know, he said, you know, the counselor said, well, the Bible says, you know, you know, love your wife. He said, I just can't do it. Well, the Bible says, love one another then. Just be, you know, you're, I can't do that either. Well, the Bible says, love your enemy then. Well, he couldn't get out of that one. So the Bible has an answer for every issue of life. Every issue. Amen? God's written word, so valuable to us, so precious. It is the word of God. As Peter said, it contains... Those precious promises contain divine nature. And we can be a partaker of that divine nature as we allow the Holy Spirit to take that word and make it real to us spiritually. I don't say by faith any longer, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I say now I am the righteousness of God in Christ because that's who I am. You don't have to convince me. But in the beginning, you may have to say it by faith over and over and over and over until you get this thing reprogrammed and until it builds on the inside so that what's on the inside dominates this and this flesh. That's real Christianity, living from the inside out. All right, the second way and the primary way beside the Word of God is what we call the inner witness. And apart from the written Word of God, this is the number one method God uses to guide and lead the Christian today. Romans chapter 8, quickly. We'll look at this quickly. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16. You know these scriptures. But I want to break this down and make it very simple and very real to you and incorporate some of my own experiences to help you understand. Because for many years, I was waiting to hear a voice, words, on the inside. But this is not what the Bible refers to as the inner witness or conscience. The number one way is this witness. Notice what Paul said in Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The 16th verse said, the Spirit Himself does what? Bears witness bears witness. That means he's in agreement with something or he's in disagreement with something. He's either in agreement or not in agreement. And you can know that. So the moment you get off just a little, you know it. There's an illustration Donald G. gives, and Donald G. was... Uh, uh, a teacher in the oldest, uh, the world's oldest Pentecostal Bible school in Great Britain uh, back in the 30s. And uh, the illustration he uses, I like it, he, he uses different terminology because they use different ter terminology. He calls, and I, you know, I work for a few months uh, on the railroad. I work for Burlington Northern, so I understand what he's talking about. I, wor I worked on a section crew. We, we replaced railroad ties and rail. And rail's 39 feet long, normal sections. But we put in what's called ribbon rail. Ribbon rail is a quarter of a mile. It's one solid rail. And they put that on the bends. And they replace a lot of the short links because they expand and contract with heat, cold, and that causes uh, buckles in the track and that causes loose joints sometimes. So on the, on the curves, they like to put what 
what's called ribbon rail. So when you have a train and you're out working on the track, you have to have someone watching for you. You can't hear. You know, you got equipment and, and maybe we have equipment or we're, we're, we're using, my equipment was pick and shovel. Sometimes we had some automated equipment, but my boss didn't like automated equipment. He thought that was too fancy. We'll do it the old-fashioned way and the real way, pick and shovel. So we're out there working, and, and the boss or someone is watching because if there's, a, if there's an engine coming with a train, and we had coal trains running on this rail that goes uh, all the way from uh, main rail all the way from uh, Colorado to Chicago, and coal, trail, coal, coal trains at that time had uh, double engines and 100 cars, and they're running uh, about 60 miles an hour, 60 to 70, 80 sometimes, depending. So that's a lot of weight moving. So if you have a problem, which we did one time, someone wasn't watching, we had four crews working together, it took a mile for the train to stop. Hard to get that once it's in motion, right? So here's this train, and we're out there working. You can't hear it, especially if it's on an even grade or even a downhill grade. You can't hear it because it's running so smoothly. And so the illustration he uses, he said it's not the storm that the railroad uh, cars or the engine experience, it's not the steep grade, dark tunnels that, that uh, affects the engineer or tells him that something's wrong, the guy that's in the engine, it is if there is a sudden jolt and they're off track or something, something happens to track, sudden jolt, jolt and friction that determines something's not right somewhere. So he said the same is true in life. It's not the outward experiences that we have. It's not sometimes the dark testing that we go through, not from God, you understand. It's not the tests and trials that determines whether we're in the will of God or not but it's the sudden jolt of lost inward peace that should be examined. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, this inner witness. So the Spirit bears witness. The Living Bible says this, for, the, for His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts. The New English Bible, the Spirit of God joins with our spirit. I like that. See, it's not something apart from your spirit. He joins with your spirit in testifying. That's that word witness, means to testify. He's testifying, either yes or no. Yes, this is right. No, that's not right. The Phillips version says the spirit himself endorses our inward conviction. That's my favorite. He endorses our inward conviction. And then we're going to look at one more scripture and then we're going to close. Colossians 3.15. Now you remember in Acts 20.22, 20, we'll look at this again tomorrow night, Paul said, I'm, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, except in every city the Holy Ghost witnesseth that bonds and afflictions await me. Remember that? But then he said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. Hallelujah. See, joy is not happiness. 
Happiness is based on circumstantial evidence. It's superficial. It'll come and go. But joy remains. Whether you have outside evidence that supports it or not, your mind says, you ought to be worrying. What's the matter with you? Something on the inside says, I just can't. I got joy. I have peace. I know I should be worrying, but I something on the inside, just I have peace. That's the peace that passes understanding. Now notice this verse, Colossians 3.15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's verse 16, back up. Verse 15, let the peace of God, everyone say peace of God, rule in your hearts, not your head, not your body, in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. That word rule is translated umpire or arbitrator. An arbitrator is a person that is called in to settle a dispute between two parties. So if there's two individuals or two companies that are having difficulty coming to an agreement, they'll bring an ard- a third party in called an arbitrator, and that person will settle the dispute. And you know what an umpire is if you have a football game, a basketball game, a baseball game, a soccer game, you have an umpire. And if there's an issue on the field or in the play, the umpire determines what the ruling is, what's right. So here, notice what uh, Paul said, let the peace of God. This is not a superficial peace that you created. This is God's peace that cannot be shaken, that will not change, regardless of what's going on around here on the outside. Let that peace be the umpire or let that peace settle any questionings you have. As a matter of fact, Weymouth's translation says, decide all doubts in your heart. Settle all questionings in your heart. That is a witness, my brothers and sisters. That's the Holy Spirit. That's one way He witnesses with our spirit concerning the will of God for your life, concerning decisions you have to make is this peace of God. It will not leave you. If it's emotion, it'll be gone tomorrow. Emotion's like the wind. It changes every few minutes. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're almost leveled to the ground. That old song they used to sing, Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the Goalposts of Life. Real song. Sometimes up, sometimes down. Sometimes almost level to the ground. That's the way I used to live my life. So it was very difficult to determine the will of God. Because when you felt good, God was there. And the next day, oh God, where are you? Oh, right? Very difficult. But as we develop and grow and put God's Word on the inside, that becomes our stabilizing force, our foundation that the Holy Spirit can work on, build on. And we know that peace. Hallelujah.